0: Not supposed to marry and but it takes some real, real work on both of them's part to make it for thirty six years. I know I could ask them they're just like everybody else, there's been a few bumps along the way. A few. A few. <laughs> but anyway, praise the Lord. We need to learn how to have less and less bumps. You know, and the further along we go and the closer we walk with God, the less bumps we'll have. So uh we we had a great big bump this morning, you know. Cheryl and I we uh, stayed up late, as usual, or early, I guess you should say. And we finally went over to the house about four this morning wow. to go to bed. And she wasn't through talking. You know how these women have these <laughs> ten million words. So anyway, at 6.30 this morning, I told her, I reached over and swatted her on the leg and I said, I am going to give you a spanking if you don't hush up so I can go to sleep. But <laughs> oh, well, she had to get the last word in. <laughs> we had lots of fun. We were praying for each other. She's had a little attack from the enemy lately. He's really, this last few days has really attacked her in the area of her throat and everything. And, man, I prayed with her. And every time I come by, if I don't pray for her, she says, you don't love me anymore? You didn't pray for me again? <laughs> oh, man. So we really had some battles with the enemy, you know. I mean, I'm telling you, he's out there, isn't he? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you... Oh, no, I ain't going to tell him what you did. I'm not going to tell him, uh, you know. I grumbled in the... Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> See, she told you that. <laughs> yeah, she... She got off into grumbling and complaining a little, and of course, naturally, the enemy attacked her with her throat, and that's where it happens, you know. But it happens, you know. So, uh, in fact, I will tell you all that. I think it was last night. I think it was last night. Uh, she was making some airline reservations, or night before life one. Was it last night? Either? And uh, the people were sending the airline tickets too, had changed their email, and uh, <coughs> and since they had changed the email. Uh, of course, she—I didn't tell her, and she hadn't read it on the uh, uh, emails. And so, yeah, so she come up and done this. And whenever it didn't go through, she come running in there. She said, "Do you know they've changed their email address?" I said, "Yeah, I read it on the email. She said, "Well, why didn't you tell me? Now I got to go do this all over again." And she goes running back in there, sits down to her computer, and I get up and go in there and walk in, and I said. Tap her on the shoulder, I said, you know, the Lord said, no grubbly getting <laughs> Oh, oh my. I mean, isn't it so easy to get off in that mode? I mean, I'd do it too. I'd do it every once in a while. I know none of y'all do that, but me and Cheryl. <laughs> it's so. <laughs> oh, it's amazing, isn't it? You know, I mean, it's amazing. That's just like, uh, I, I saw this uh, sign somewhere, I don't remember where we were, some other city, and one of them great big billboards, and the Lord, there was a sign up there, says, if you think the traffic lines are long now, just keep grumbling, God. <laughs> I thought, whoa. <laughs> I mean, but he did say, do all things without grumbling and murmuring, didn't he? He said, in fact, when all these very, James chapter 1, When all these various trials and tests come to you, consider them pure joy. Now, that's not exactly the easiest thing in the world to do. You know that? Oh, Lord, it's so much easier to grumble and complain than it is to consider them pure joy. But, do you want to be sick? No. No? then you need to do it His way and not your way. (laughs) Oh, goodness. The Lord is so awesome. Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to thank you for this beautiful day. We want to thank you, Lord, even that it was extremely warm out there for this time of the year. Lord, still, it's a beautiful day because you made it. And, Lord, we're thankful for all the things we were able to do today and the things we were able to get done today. And, Lord, may you bless our Bible study tonight as we come to you, as we worship you and praise you and thank you as we read your word. And see these wonderful things. I want to thank you Lord. For the abundance of blessings. That you've given all of us as your children. Because you told us you come to give us life. And give it to us abundantly. So Lord we're thankful. We're claiming the abundant life. We're doing our best to walk in obedience to your word. And so Lord we thank you. For all the wonderful things. And all the wonderful answers of prayer. And all the salvations and healings. And deliverances and everything. In Jesus name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Talking about salvation there in that prayer, I will share with some of y'all a man I led to Jesus this the other day. Uh, I called this man and talked to him about some equipment. And whenever we were talking, he said, you know, I've heard some of the things you've said when I t- called or talked to you. And so I went in the Internet and looked up your name. And he said, I found out that your name's in there many thousands of times. And so he said, I went to your website And I read a lot of stuff on your website. He said, you have some very interesting information on your website. And I said, well, great. I said, I'm glad you liked it. I said, are you a born-again Christian? Well, he said, I'm a Methodist. And I said, well, great. I said, but do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Well, no. He said, I guess I have never done that. I said, well, you know, uh, the old devil He will lie to you and he will take you through the end of your life saying, just go to church, you're okay, but you don't have to worry about making Jesus Lord of your life. And then one day when you die, I said, he'll send his demons and they'll drag you screaming into the pit of hell. I said, but Jesus has already paid the price for you and he's given it to you. It's a free gift. So I said, how would you like to invite Jesus into your heart right now? I said, just repeat this prayer after me. Oh, he said, no, no, I couldn't do that. I would be mixing business with religion. That was the devil's answer. And when he said that, I immediately said, Devil, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And Father, ask you to convict him of sin. And I said all that in one sentence so quickly. He said, What did you say? I said, Never mind what I said. I said, How would you like to now invite Jesus into your heart? He said, You know, I believe I will. And so... I said, Well, just repeat the prayer after me. And he went right through that prayer, and I led him right into the kingdom of God and got him saved. Amen. Now, isn't it amazing that the Lord says in Second Corinthians chapter four, verse three and four, if there's any lost on this earth, they're lost because the God of this world has blinded their mind to the blessed gospel. Isn't that a something? That he told us why. And then when he made this awesome statement to us in Luke ten nineteen and 20, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on the devil and his demons. All power is given to you over them. They shall in no wise hurt you. Nevertheless, rejoice not in this wonderful thing that the evil spirits have to be subject to you, but rather rejoice because your name is written in heaven. I mean, with those kind of statements, what can you do with those kind of statements to the devil? You can kick him out. And then when you take this wonderful promise in John six forty four, where the Lord says, No one can come into the kingdoms lest they be drawn by the Father. Well, how does the Father draw? By the Holy Spirit. So you ask the Father, in the name of Jesus, to send the Holy Spirit to that person and convict them of sin and draw them into the kingdom. And, of course, if you're praying the prayer for someone else, then you ask the Father to send the proper labor into the harvest to bring that person in, but since I was on the phone with him, I considered myself the labor, and so I just thought, well, I'll bring him in. I don't have to pray that part, and so praise the Lord, the Lord allowed me to see that man come in. And another little testimony I'll give you: I got an email from a man that this uh, this today or yesterday, whenever it was. I read so many; I forget which day I read them. But he said, you know, I came to ministry. He said, I want to thank God for your ministry. He said, I came two years ago, and I was on drugs, nicotine, marijuana. And he said, I could not break the habit. And he said, I came to see you. I told you I wanted to get off of it. And you told me that no problem, Jesus would be happy to... Take that away from me and deliver me if I would repent and tell him I wanted to be free. And he said, I repented and told him I was free. He said, you merely said, you foul devil of hell? Now leave him in the name of Jesus. He said, two years have come and gone. I have not had one single desire for another cigarette of no kind since that time. do we serve an awesome king? I mean, after all, he is mighty and he, he watches over his word to perform his word. So when we stand on his word, he does everything he said he would do. It's such fun serving the Lord. That's what oh, you, I thought you had something else to say, honey. Okay. Now then, let's think about uh, you know the the saints are permitted to wear the cleanest and whitest and finest of linens. Isn't that something? Fine linen represents the good deeds done by the people of God. Are you doing some good deeds for God? Are you just out there living? You know, are you going about your daily business? or Are you leading anybody to Jesus? Are you sharing the Word of God with people? Are you baking a cake for someone? Are you doing something? Are you going doing a good deed for someone? Are you going and helping someone? Are you doing whatever, anything, for the kingdom of God? Are you doing something for someone in the name of Jesus? Well, if you are, you have those good deeds... Now then, some of us will probably go to heaven with our salvation garments on. Isn't that something? But others will be clothed in the finest linen who will absolutely... It's amazing when I think about this fine linen... That God's going to give. In fact, Cheryl read a book the other day about heaven. And I I thought how unique this book was. As I read the scriptures, she gave me some new ideas. This woman supposedly had been to heaven and seen these things. And when she's reading this book, she said the Lord showed her heaven. And where the people were there and the blessed things that were happening. And the beautiful homes and all the things that people were having. But he took her to a place... Right outside of the main entry into heaven, and it was a valley, and there was a lot of people there, and they were wearing a a different colored. One of them were wearing in one of these valleys, they were wearing a gray garment, and the other valley they were wearing kind of a sand-colored garment. And she said, "Lord, who are these?" And he said, "Well, these were my children that were disobedient. They're disobedient." And said, they're going to wander out here kind of aimlessly. They won't go to hell. But they'll wander out here kind of aimlessly forever. They will never inherit my rest. And I thought, wow. And well, who's this other bunch over here? He said, those were the Christians that willfully sinned after they had the knowledge of the truth. She said, goodness. What's going to happen to them? He said, most of them at the judgment will be cast into the lake of fire. Ooh, isn't that awesome? It makes you kind of want to straighten your act up and walk with God, doesn't it? It sure does me. I am not going to take any chances. I want to have on, I want to be wearing these beautiful, fine linen garments in the presence of our king, don't you? Absolutely. I want to be doing something for the Lord. Now then, who will determine what you will be wearing when you get to heaven? You will. You will be the one to make that decision. When are you going to make that decision? Here. Now. Not when you get there. Because if you're a Christian and you're just a well, it's a whole lot better to be either on fire or ice cold. You all know that? Because you know what does what the Lord say he would do to those that were lukewarm? That's scary, isn't it? That's more than scary to think that he will spit you out of his mouth if you're just lukewarm. What does it mean to be lukewarm? Well, I go to church on Christmas and Easter, you know, and once in a while, maybe, you know, for a special occasion, I might go to church. But do you ever talk to anybody about Jesus? Well, no, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm I'm a Christian, no, but I don't really do anything for the Lord. Ooh, I don't want to be one of those at lukewarm. I'd rather be one that's ice cold. Or one that's on fire. But I don't want to be the ice cold one either. I want to be the one that's on fire. Because I love to see Jesus do wonderful things for the Lord. In fact, last night, one of the things Cheryl and I was talking about when we were laying there in bed until 6.30 this morning. One of the things we were talking about is when I told her, please be quiet so I can go to sleep. She said, if you and Dave, now Dave Rosenfeld. It, she said, if you and Dave had been in there studying the Word, said you need to repent for what you did tonight. I was in there looking at airplanes. You know, I was looking to see what the price of airplanes were. Because I am, one of these days, I believe, as many places as God's sending us now, I believe one day He plans for us to have a small, you know, twin-engine airplane. I already have, I'm a multi-engine pilot. I used to fly commercial so that's not a problem. I can fly anything. But I believe the Lord's going to provide us an airplane someday. And, of course, I want to make sure that I get the right one, you know, at the right price. That's the most economical. So it takes a lot of legwork to do that. So Dave and I have been doing lots of research. And, of course, you know, we enjoyed that. You know, because, you know, uh, you know the only difference between a man and a boy? The price of his toys. That's absolutely right. <laughs> The prize. David knows he's a big boy just like me. You know, he's got toys, toys he has now. He didn't have when he was a little guy, but we got them now, don't we, David? Yes. Sure we do, and we like those toys. But anyway, uh, this, these toys we would use for the glory of God. But she was giving me a hard time. She said, if you'd have been over there Spending time with God, you know, said your anointing would be a whole lot better than it is. And so I said, Lord, this moment's right. I repent. I repent. I said, Lord, I should have spent all them hours in the Word of God last night. Oh, so I said, Lord, this moment you sent me, Lord, I gotta repent. Oh goodness. Life is so much fun. You know that? Oh goodness. Now then, what will the Lord be looking for in our lives when He comes again? He will be a fruit inspector. He will be looking for fruit. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever thought about God as being a fruit inspector? Well, let's look and see what the Scripture says in Philippians chapter 1. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1. Let's start with verse 9. Philippians 1, 9. And as we get to Philippians 1, 9. And this I pray. Well, I'll give you a couple of seconds here to get it. Some of you are still flipping through your Bible. Philippians uh, 1-9 when you get over there. And for those of you that don't know, maybe that's in the New Testament. <laughs> I'm just being funny tonight. Oh, goodness. You know, I say that, but did you know this? When I, when I sat down with people, and I've done a lot of this lately, especially with some of the people I've been dealing with, I will sit down and a man and a woman will come to the ministry center from who knows where all over. And I'll say, are y'all Christians? Oh, yeah. And they're sick or their son's sick or their daughter's sick or whatever the problem is. And I'll say, well, sir, uh, where do y'all go to church? And they'll tell me. Do you go pretty regular? Oh, yeah, pretty regular. I said, well, good. Let's start out in this scripture. And I might, I mean, just like Philippians 1-9, I might use something like this. And I said, well, let's turn to Philippians 1-9. And when he opens up, starts looking through the Old Testament, he's flipping through over there and he's flipping through and flipping through. I said, sir, you don't study the Bible very much, do you? Well, no, I really don't study it very much. I said, well, right in the front, there's an index. You know, we need to learn where the index is. That's the first thing. And, you know, be gentle with them and take them to the index. And then you need to tell them there is an Old Testament and a New Testament. And when they said, well, you know, I really didn't know that. You, you know what kind of trouble you're in. This hour and a half appointment I just turned into six hours, minimum. Right there. Maybe eight. You know, if you're going to get them healed. You're going to be there a while. I'll tell you for sure. But I say it's that, but I will say that the other day, I had an evangelist and a preacher, senior pastor of a church, and two ladies out the ministry center. And both the women were sick. And the the appointment was nearly six hours long. And after it was over, I got an email this yesterday uh, from this um, meeting that was done over a week ago. And this pastor, senior pastor of this church up in the middle, Midwest, he said, I didn't realize I was an unbelieving pastor speaking to an unbelieving congregation. He said... You opened a whole new world to me in those few hours I was with you. He said, I've got to have you come to my church and spend the minimum of three to five days and get us back on track. I thought, wow. That's what I say. Glory to God. But the evangelist that was there, when he went away, he went away with a friend of mine. And he told that friend, he said, man, I have never been so built up in faith as i have been in the last few hours i thought wow but that's what god sent me to do build her faith isn't it and so he's doing some wonderful things he's got a, he's an awesome god and he's got some awesome promises in this book but let's see what he says here about being a fruit inspector in philippians 1 9 and this i pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Now see, that fruit is our works and their deeds of righteousness that when we do them God says he's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth well the fruit could be souls but the fruit is also your deeds of righteousness this is fruit that you're storing up and putting in your basket and as you fill your basket one day the Lord's coming and he's going to inspect your fruit and you want it to be good don't you? And you want your basket to be full. <clears throat> now maybe, maybe you've never thought of yourself as a fruit-bearing tree growing in a field. Isn't that amazing when God talks about a tree? You know, I used to read the Scriptures over there when he would say, Master, that tree right there, it has not borne any fruit for the last three years. And you know what the king said? Cut it down. That's exactly right. Cut that tree down. And the the man says, Master, let me dig around it. Let me fertilize it. And let me water it. Give me one more season. And then let's see if we can get it to bear fruit. He said, okay. You can have one more season. But if it doesn't bear fruit, cut it down and throw it in the fire. Those trees he's talking about is us. Do you know a lot of people, a lot of people that are Christians die prematurely because their tree is cut down because they produce no fruit for the kingdom of God. You know whenever somebody's 30 years old or 40 years old and they say they're a Christian but they don't do anything for God. They're just totally about their own business. And one day they just die. You ever wonder why? I did. I wanted to know why people die at different times in life. Why everybody don't live to be the same age? You know, if God give us an age in the Bible, why does some of us live longer than others and some of us shorter than others? It's because of the fruit that we bear as Christians. Now, the lost people its a whole, whole new world, a whole different world. But once you become a Christian, now he expects you to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. And if you do produce that fruit, man... He prunes you so that you will bear more fruit. I mean, good grief. That, you know, who wants to be pruned? You know, I don't either. Do you, Gina? No, but we're going to be, aren't we? And so we start producing fruit. I mean, it doesn't make any sense at all. In the, you know, you take a big, great big beautiful rose bush and the thing grows up and gets this big. And it raised all kinds of beautiful flowers all over it and everything. You say, wow, look how big that is. I'll just leave it just like it is. And next year it'll have many more. But what happens? It don't have. You've got to cut it back. If you cut it back, what will it do the next year? Flourish. Wow, it'll flourish. Well, see, that's what God does to us. But I'll tell you, we don't like it when He prunes us. Because it hurts. It hurts. When He gives us something, He drives us back to the Word. And it definitely hurts. But he does prune us. Sometimes the little prunings are not that bad. But the big ones are the ones that really work on you. Now then, in 1 Corinthians, let's see, what's 1 Corinthians 3, I believe it was. I didn't put the scripture down there. 1 Corinthians, I believe it was chapter 3, but I'm not for sure. I know it's verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. What? Chapter, three, nine. Chapter three. Okay, I, I forgot to put that on. It's a good thing I remembered that, isn't it? First Corinthians three. Yeah, I need to. I need to change that on my outline. So I'll put that on the front of my piece of paper. Yeah, let me put it right here. First Corinthians three. Okay. First Corinthians three nine. He said, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. So when you look at yourself, you need to realize you're a house. You're a tree. And you're a field. So he calls you all those different things. All those different things. Maybe you never thought of yourself. Maybe you never thought of God as a farmer. But he is. Now then, in... God is definitely a farmer. He is farming these fields. And that's us. And, 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 our, and He's irrigating and fertilizing our trees. And we are producing fruit. Now then, in James chapter 5, verse 7, I definitely don't like some of these scripts. Some of these scripts I'd like to take out. I, you know what I mean? But they're all in here for a purpose. Therefore, be patient. Be patient. Brethren, until the coming of the Lord Jesus, because this is in James 5, 7, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. So he's waiting for the fruit of the earth. Of the earth. And this is what this is all about. In other words, God is growing a field down here on, growing a crop in a field down here on the earth, and also building buildings. And He's raising trees, and He says, He is the vine, and we are the branches, and the fruit is. He's all through the scriptures, He talks about all of this as a farmer, and how He works on all this stuff. So, what He's doing. In, in the years that we're here, the few years that we're here, and they are so short, as you know, you know, whenever I was 20 years old, I thought somebody, if you were 50, you were ancient and over the hill and you were worthless and useless for nothing. 50? I mean, good grief. That guy, woo, that guy, 50 over oh, that guy, he can't do that, he's 50. But when you get way past 50, Fifty's not very old, is it? (laughs) No. It makes all the difference in the world when you get there. But life is so short. Now I'm beginning to understand what Paul said. Your life is but a vapor on this earth. I mean, but a mere vapor. And the whole thing about this is, God has put us here on this earth temporarily for a few years to see what we're going to do. Are we going to serve Him? Are we going to serve the devil? And if we're going to serve Him are we going to produce fruit for his kingdom? And all of this is going to determine where we're going to spend eternity and what is going to our, be our position of rank in eternity. Now then, if this book that Cheryl read to me the other day is true about the disobedient Christians, I, I don't want to be one of those. I don't want to wander aimlessly, although that might be a whole lot better than going to hell. You know, a whole lot better than going to hell. But those willfully sinning Christians... Those that know, of course, you know, in Hebrews 10:26 is where that comes from. That if you know that it's wrong to do something and then you just go ahead and willfully do it and keep on doing it. It says there's no sacrifice for sin left, but a fiery judgment of God to come upon you. And that's scary. So I don't want to be a willfully sinning person. I can assure you, if you step into the willfully sinning uh, arena... I will guarantee it will turn loose demons upon you and different sickness and disease and terrible things will come to your house. You will not like it. So, you know, make sure that you don't go there. <clears throat> now, it is very... And this, this I don't think I read all that. Therefore, be patient, brethren, for the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for... For it until it receives, yes, the early and the latter rain. I did read all of that. So God is patiently waiting for this whole time to come and go. And I I believe the end of this is almost here. I believe we're so close to the coming of the Lord that it's just absolutely amazing. You know, everything's lining up. I mean, just think, He could come any minute. But I believe with all my heart that He will come on the Feast of Trumpets. I, and I know I don't say this uh, Jewish name right, Rosh Hashanah. Uh, that's the way I say it, but that's probably in Texas English. That's probably not the way a Jewish person would say it. But anyway, it's Feast of Trumpets. That is that is one of the seven feasts of Israel. And way back in Leviticus, God gave Moses the law of, of the seven feasts and what they're supposed to do. <clears throat> And everything God has done has happened. All the major things He's done has happened on one of those seven feast days. It's so awesome how He's fulfilled those things. And He's fulfilled four of them completely now. And we're waiting for the next one, which is a fifth one, which is a feast of, of uh, trumpets. And that's the when I believe that Jesus is going to come again. Now, every year, that two-day period... 48-hour period is called the day that no man knows the hour. That's kind of unique, isn't it? The day that no man knows the hour. He even said, I'm coming on a day when no man knows the hour. I thought, wow, that's awesome how that just fit in there perfect. But that happens depending on the Jewish calendar and the moon cycles. It happens either in September or October of every year. And it's a twenty—I mean, a forty-eight-hour day, two days actually. But 24th 24th. What, what time? Andy? This year, September 24th and 25th. September 24th and 25th is when it's going to happen this year. Cheryl looked it up on the calendar the other day. So I believe that's when Jesus is going to return. Now I may be wrong, you know, but that's just what I believe. So anyway, if he does, I, every year on on Feast of Trumpets, I can hardly sleep. I am way, I've been looking for this now for 10 or 15 or 20 years almost. I've been looking thinking, Lord, is this the night you're going to come? Because I believe you're coming on Feast of Trumpets. And so I just can't hardly sleep during those times because I would love, of course, I'm going to be awake anyway when he comes, when he descends from heaven with a shout, and he says, Thurman, come up here. If I'm asleep, I'm going to be awake. Because I'm going to hear that voice and we're out of here. And Cheryl says, Well, if we are in bed asleep, I'm going to be holding on to your coattail. She said, We going together. I said, Guarantee, we're going together. We're all going to go together. Every one of us are going to go together. So praise the Lord. Now then, it is very important to the Lord that you bear much fruit. Do you think a farmer wants his field to bear much fruit? Of course. You know, no no farmer would want a field and and but raise a crop that didn't raise much fruit. Uh, you, that's just that's why we planted. You know, we wanted to produce abundantly. Now then, in John fifteen eight. Now this is the Living Bible translation. John fifteen eight, it says, "I thought this was so good when I read this." It said, "My true disciples produce bountiful harvest. The true disciples produce bountiful harvest. This brings great glory to my Father." Now I don't know what it, I don't remember exactly how it read in the King James, but I have all these scriptures here side by side in the computer when I read them. And this one, I thought, man, that is so good. So I cut and pasted it and put it in here, John fifteen, eight. What? John 15.8 in the Living Bible says my true disciples my true disciples produce bountiful harvest this brings great glory to my Father when we go out and do something for Jesus we go out and, and we get somebody saved if we get those people saved does that bring glory to the Lord sure that's what he came and died for so he could save us or we go out and pray the prayer of faith for someone and get them healed. I mean, I mean, goodness gracious, alive. Oh, I will have to tell you that Eldon was telling, sharing with me yesterday. He came out and helped me all day yesterday. And I was so blessed. But in the process, of course, we talked about the Lord a whole lot. And he told me about Dr. Gary Young sharing his testimony with a bunch of people up in... Somewhere in Canada, I believe he said they were. Toronto. And he said... The miracle was even greater than we realize. All of you here tonight, I'm sure, know, or most of you do, that just a few months ago, that Dr. Gary Young in Salt Lake City, Utah, he had fell out of a tree 35 foot up and crushed the lower part of his back. And he called, and I had the privilege to pray the prayer of faith for him at 10 o'clock on Sunday night, and God instantly healed his broken back. I mean, instantly healed that broken back. And he's been able to go and everything. There's no pain. But what I didn't know until Eldon shared with me, what he gave his testimony in Toronto at a group of a meeting with a bunch of people, and he showed pictures of his back and his spinal column. And down in his lower back, all the discs are in place, but one is completely missing. There's a blank spot. When the doctors see this, they said, Gary, you've got to be in excruciating pain. There's no disc in there. No pain. He said, don't you dare bend over. There's nothing to hold your back together. He said, look, no problem. Is that awesome that God could fix that disc and make it invisible where that the machines we have don't even... And that's right. You told me that, didn't you? You were there and saw that. He's... Eldon saw it. He said, the, "the the blank space in the lower part of his back, there is a disc completely missing, and the doctors can't believe it, that he can walk, bend over, and run, and do everything, and no pain. But God healed the man, and as far as doctors is concerned, there's no disc in there, it's a blank spot. His spine, the upper part has setting on nothing, on the lower part. Is that an awesome miracle? I mean, it, can God do anything, Gina?" He confounds the mind of the wise, doesn't he? He is so magnificently awesome. And to think, Eldon prayed for him first, and then he come to me a little later, a few hours later. And Eldon had started it. He got the healing process going, because he's a man of faith too. And then when I put, throw it in there, and he throwed that little bit extra anointing in there that God has given me, between what he had and what I had, bam, he was instantly healed of a broken back. And he's been going and blowing and going ever since. We serve an awesome God, don't we? I mean, he's so, he's so awesome. And I just I thank him and praise him because I have prayed the prayer of faith for, I don't know how many people that I've I prayed the prayer of faith for backs. I mean, I don't even know. I have no idea. But I have seen many, many, many backs of every kind. Backs that were broken, by everything, you name it. When I prayed for people, God has just allowed me to speak in faith for backs, And I've seen him do everything imaginable for backs. It's awesome. It's such a pleasure and a privilege to know that Jesus still lives today. I mean, he's alive, praise the King. Absolutely. And then he expects us to bring, produce great fruit. And when we do this, everybody's got to know it's not us. I mean, we, know we don't have that kind of power, but we've got that kind of power in us, which is Christ. And when we speak in faith, He does it. And can you imagine being on a cell phone here and in Salt Lake City, Utah, a man hears your voice going over the airways and Jesus instantly healed a broken back? Or the two boys in Chicago a couple of years ago that were both down, instantly healed, were broken back. I just, I just, over and over and over and over, I've seen God heal backs. You know, but I guess I stand. I say, I stand amazed. He said, "You shouldn't. It's me. I'm doing it. It ain't you. You just pray the prayer of faith, and I'll take care of it. That's all there is to it." So I guess when you finally realize it's totally the King, but you're getting to pray, you just think, just like I was telling one of the ladies at the minister center today. She said, "You know, but this person's living in sin. What should I pray for them or not?" I said, "Absolutely. Tell them what they're supposed to do." And then, tell them what they're supposed to do. And tell them what God says. And then, repent or not repent, you pray the prayer of faith for them. And then leave it in God's hands. I said, he knows what he's doing, but he can't do nothing till you pray in faith. So I said, when you pray in faith, I said, I've seen people heal, people's broken backs, when there was living a man living with a woman out of wedlock. I mean, out of wedlock. I mean... Fornication, I mean, on a regular basis, and pray the prayer of faith for him, and God instantly heals him. Now, what can, what, I mean, the mercy of God's beyond me. It's beyond me. You know, so all I can say is, Lord, I'm not the healer. I don't know the whole picture. You do. I just pray the prayer of faith for people, and you take care of your business. And so that's what we do. You know, we don't do nothing else. We just let God do the healing and we just do the praying. We do try to tell them what the Word says about what they're supposed to do and not supposed to do and to repent of their sins because we do try to teach you that. And if you repent and then believe, no problem. God will heal you. He promised it. Now then, let's go a little step further here and see what happens if you do not bear fruit and what happens if you do bear fruit. Now, this is kind of scary about not producing fruit. There's some things in here and this scripture in John 15, 2, this is a very unique verse to me because God spoke to me one time and told me this was the problem with a man that just died. And wow, when I read this, John 15, 2, it says, every branch, every branch in me, Christ, that... Does not bear fruit. He takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit. He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now then. If you're a child of God. You're a branch. Because he's the vine. And we're the branches. If you're not producing fruit. On a regular basis. You better start slapping your vine. And you better start talking to it. Is that right? You better, you, better get, you better start slapping that thing saying, Hey, Branch, you better get up off your duff and get out of here and do something for Jesus. You better start leading people to Jesus. If you, if, you, if you don't have that gift yet, start working on it. And if you can make somebody a cake and, or go to the hospital and visit with somebody, just sit by the hospital bed and read them the Bible. Anybody can do that, can't you? Yeah, I mean, you don't have to be somebody special. You're just a daughter or son of God. Anybody can go down and take the Word of God and sit by somebody that's in need, or there may be a man or a woman near where you live that's having trouble, you know, that you could go and sit down with them and pray with them. You know, and who, I mean, if you pray the prayer of faith for people, there's no limits to what God can do. But if you don't pray, nothing happens. But if you do, but you need to be out there doing something, and then you need to be praying and talking to the Lord. Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? I want to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. I don't want to be a dead branch. Because you said in John fifteen two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, you cut it off. I don't want to be cut off, do you? Now, see, I had a man one time that he had been a great man of God. I mean, he had taught a Bible study class. uh, He'd been a youth leader. He'd done all kinds of things for many years. And then on up in about uh, 45 years old, he met a woman and he married this woman. Now, this woman said she was a Christian, but she thought we could worship God at home and not go to church. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, we can definitely worship God at home. We don't have to go to church. You know, hear people say that all the time, right? Sure. I hear people say that. Well, are you a Christian? Yes. Do you go to church? No. But we worship God at home. I say, oh, so what kind of Sunday service did you have last week? You know, did you get up, you know, and did you worship the King? I mean, did you get in there and put on some music? Did you worship and sing? What songs do you sing? Well, we don't do that. I thought you was going to worship God at home. Well, we do. Well, how are you worshiping God? I don't think your worship agrees with His worship. I really don't. Because most people stay at home don't worship God. They go do something else. You know. they, they Yeah, they go to the lake. They do all kinds of things. And they do all kinds of things. And I'll tell you, it's real easy to get awful of, on that. But anyway, this man had done this. He had... Been to church about a half a dozen times in the ten years that he was married to this woman. And then he came down, and of course he's a Christian, had been a good Christian, had produced a lot of fruit for the kingdom. But then at 45, he stopped producing fruit. And for the next ten years, his branch produced virtually no fruit. Well, his branch became very sickly at about 55. He developed brain tumors. And those brain tumors, they sent him down to the uh, VA hospital in San Antonio, and they cut the top of his head off. That don't even sound good, does it? And opened it up in one area and took some of the big tumors out, and the doctor said, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. There's no way we can get all those tumors out of his head, out of his brain. There's... This man's going to die unless God intervenes. Well, God had already intervened, but that's what we didn't know. That's the part we don't understand. So this man was sent back to a rest home to die. Well, I went to that rest home. It was over a three-hour drive from where I live here in this area. And I went and spent all day on Monday with that man, reading him the Scripture, casting devils out of him, anointing him with oil and praying the prayer of faith for him. I wanted to see the guy get well. But on Thursday, he died. And on Sunday, I went to his funeral. 56 years old when he died. On the way home in the car, all by myself, because I went down there by myself. He had been my friend. So on the way home, I am petitioning the Lord. Lord, I got to know what happened here. I got to know, did I mess up? Did I sin? Because, Lord, I did everything you told me to do. I mean, I cast devils out of him. I said, I, I repented for all my sins, I thought. But I said, Lord, if I had something in there I didn't know. I said, if I done something wrong, I got to know what I did wrong. Because, according to your word, this man was supposed to have lived, but he died. I said, I, I got to know. Since you put me in the healing business and the teaching business, I got to know where the problem lies here, whether it was me or what. And I asked the Lord that question over and over and over for two and a half hours. And He finally answered. Now, be see, be persistent. If you start asking God something and He doesn't answer you on the first time you ask, don't give up. Don't give up. I was persistent. And it took me two and a half hours to get my answer. But after asking that same question over and over and over and over for two and a half hours, finally he said, "Son, it was not your problem. it was his." And he said, "Your answer to this question is in John 15:2." And so man, I pulled off the side road and grabbed my Bible and opened it up, because that time I didn't have John 152 committed to memory. And when I read that, I thought, "Good grief! He means what He says in this book. Isn't that amazing? He really means that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes it away or cuts it off. So you want to know why a 56-year-old man died early? Christian? No fruit. That's exactly right, David. No fruit. So, it's it's amazing that... We are designed to live to be old people. Not 56. Not 40. We are designed to be old. But the fruit you produce is going to determine how long you live. Isn't that amazing? Now, if you produce no fruit for the kingdom, who said, he, who was going to cut this guy off? The Lord. This is God talking. He's going to cut his children off. He's going to cut the trees down, or cut the branches off of his children that produce no fruit. Now, how can he do it? Any number of a million ways. There's no set way. But what difference does he make? If you die, you die, right? But just think, if you produce no fruit and you get cut off, I wonder how many rewards you're going to get when you get home and you had no fruit in your basket. None. You know That's scary. But that's what the Scripture says. So that ought to make us want to get out there and really do something for Jesus. He says there, And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So he really is wanting to produce fruit down here on this earth. Because that's what he's doing. He's got a garden down here, and he's producing fruit. And if we're not producing any fruit... You ain't going to live as long as you would if you bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Because why should he, why should he keep you going if you're going to produce no fruit? That's kind of like having a, a garden out there, you know, with trees all over it and fruit trees. And you water them and you pay for the, the water, pay for the pump to pump the water, the electricity. And you pay for the fertilizer and every year you go out there and you dig around them trees and you water them and you fertilize them and you do everything and you spend all that time and at the end of the year, no fruit. Next year you think, well, I don't understand. Big, beautiful, lush trees. You spend all that money. End of the next year, no fruit. And you do it again the third year. Big, beautiful, luscious trees and no fruit. What are you going to do to a tree like that? I'm going to cut that booger down and burn it and plant some new ones. Is that what you're going to do? Yeah. If I'm trying to raise fruit and I'm trying to, you know, raise peaches or apples or plums or whatever it is, I want them things to be falling off of there. I don't want them to be no fruit. We want them to be full. So, we need to do what the Lord says here and bear fruit. Now, how do you bear fruit? You ever stop to think about that? How do you bear fruit? Well, let's turn to John 15. John chapter 15, let's start with verse four. John 15:4. Turn over to this scripture. John 15:4. John 15:4, the scripture says, and this again, I'm reading out the living Bible, "Take care to live in me. Take care to live in me and let me live in you." For a branch can't produce fruit when severed from the vine. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Nor can you be fruitful apart from me. In other words, then he says in verse 5, Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever lives in me and I in him will produce a large crop of fruit. For apart from me, you can't do a thing. How do you abide in the King? Just like I sat down with a man the other day. This man come in, and he sat down, and I started talking to him about Jesus. Oh, he said, sir, I know God. I said, you do? Oh, yeah. I talk to him every day. I said, well, good. You must study the Bible a whole lot. Oh, no, no, he said, I never read that old book. I never read that old book? No. And you tell me, you know God? Oh, yeah, I know God. Donna, how good can that man know God if he never read the book? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, that'd be kind of like you and David married 36 years. If you had never moved in with him as a married woman, you'd have never known him, would you? You could have lived in your apartment all your life. He could have lived in his apartment. But you'd have never known nothing about him. That You could have thought he was perfect. Oh, well. she knows that. oh I mean, but that's the whole thing. When she married you, that's when, just like Cheryl, she used to look up here and say, I wonder what to be married, married to a pastor, a perfect man. And then she married me and found out, hey, he ain't even close to perfect. He's got all kinds of problems. Hey, this is, that's the way we are. Is that right? diamonds have flaws <laughs> there. you know what Cheryl told me the other day David she said Thurman you're a diamond in the rough <laughs> I love that the Lord's still cutting me away he's cutting all his little rough edges there maybe one day we'll be that slick smooth surface right that's what we're working on praise the Lord but if you live in Christ you will produce much fruit so like this man told me he knew God. And then you know what? I, then after this man says he prays and he knows God. You know what I found out about him in the next few minutes? He had left his wife and children. Moved in with another woman. Never married her. And now has a baby with the other woman and has never married her. And he wasn't divorced, right? No, he never divorced the first one. He just left her and the children. Yeah, he just left her and the children and moved in with another precious little woman that he thought was prettier than his first one. And he's got a baby now with a second one. And this man tells me he knows God and he prays every day. Does God hear his prayer? No. no, he sure does not. This guy's living in total sin. He's not. He does not know God. He is totally deceived. The God of this world has blinded his mind completely. He, he don't know God. Can't know God. I mean... There's only one way to abide in a king and know God. And that's to read His Word. That's the only way you can get to know the Lord. If you read His Word, stay in His Word, meditate on His Word, talk about it, stay in it, look at it, you're going to find out what He likes. You're going to find out what He does not like. You're going to find out what He will do and what He will not do. Now then... He died on the cross 2,000 years ago, defeated the devil for us, and went back to heaven and left us an owner's manual. Left us a will. Our, the will. His will, which is the Bible. And then He told us to study it to see what He likes so when He comes again, He will be able to draw us unto Himself. Well, just like we said Sunday in John 20, He says, As the Father has sent me So I send you, you go and do likewise. We've missed it pretty heavily, haven't we? Yeah, we sure have. We've not done what the King says. Because I think about, I read those scriptures, but they didn't mean anything to me. You you think, what does that mean? As the Father has sent me, so I send you. I said, Lord, that couldn't be true. Because... The Father sent you, and you went about doing miracles. You went out saving the lost, healing the sick, casting out demons. You fed the multitudes. You controlled the storms. You quieted the sea. You done everything. I mean, give me a break. You said, as the Father sent you to go do those things, you're telling me I'm supposed to go do those things? Forget it. I could, that, that can't be true. And the old devil said, that a boy. That's exactly what I want you to believe. You old worthless sinner, you. you know God wouldn't do nothing good for an old worthless sinner like you. And as long as He can keep you beat down like that, you won't ever do anything for God. But when you realize one day, when you really begin to understand, hey, whenever you got saved, you ain't a worthless sinner no more. You're a new creature. Woo! Old things are passed away. You become the righteousness of God in Christ. You become a son or a daughter, of the king of the universe. And all power over the devil has been given to you. And the devil has to be subject to you. And you're not supposed to sin. And then you find out that you don't even have to be sick no more. You just have to resist the devil. Boy, does that take some faith, huh? Yes, it does. But it's available. You can get into And then... When you finally get a hold of fact, hey, I can pray the prayer of faith for somebody and they can get their answer. What can that faith be? Hey, it may be finances. It may be healing. It may be deliverance from nicotine or drugs. But if they want to be set free and you pray the prayer of faith for them, God will honor His Word and He'll do it for them. That's when serving the King becomes fun. When you start seeing Him answer your prayers. It really Makes life fun. So, so how do we bear this great crop of fruit that we're talking about? We must abide in the vine. What does it mean to you to abide in the vine and for him to abide in you? Think and meditate on that a minute. Let's see what Paul had to say about this. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2 and see what Paul had to say about these things. Galatians two verse twenty Galatians two twenty Galatians chapter two verse twenty. I have been crucified with Christ, and I myself no longer live, but Christ lives in me And the real life I now have within this body is a result of my trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Crucify yourself? Is that hard to do? Oh, no, it's a piece of cake. You try to nail this thing on the cross, and I'm going to tell you this thing is going to fight tooth and nail. You know it? Is that right? Oh, I'm telling you, it don't want to die. It does definitely does not want to die. I mean, when you start trying to nail this thing to the cross, it'll tear. You can put a nail right out there and nail it out, and it'll rip it off and tear it off. Or you can get down. Or you can get the other arm nailed down. I'm serious. This wicked thing, it don't want to die easy. It does not die easy. It wants its way. I know. You know. I know, because I'm just like you. I got the same problem in life you do. I don't, want to, I don't want to crucify myself. I don't want to die to self because self wants to be in control. But if you want to walk in God's power, you're going to have to do it His way. You're going to have to crucify yourself daily, and you're going to have to walk with God, read His Word, and do what He says. Now then, who do you belong to anyway? I hear Christians say, it is my life. And I will do what I want to with it. Is that really true? I think about this little girl. It's been several years ago. This little girl was 16 years old. She was going to the Baptist church that I was in. And she ran into this 18 or 19 year old lost boy. He's already out of high school. She's still in high school. She fell madly in love with this handsome young man. And next thing you know, they're living together in an apartment together, and she's left school. Her daddy and mother were just dumbfounded. She wouldn't listen to them at all. So daddy came to me. He was in my Bible study class. He said, Thurman, will you please for me go over and talk to my daughter? and he told me what she was doing. I said, yes. So I went over there and I sat down with them. Both of them was there. And I asked him if he knew Jesus. No, he wasn't interested in religious things. Nothing to do with it. I said, honey, how about you? Do you really know Jesus? Well, she said, yes, I really do. I said, well, if you really do, then you need to stop living with this boy because you're committing fornication. And God don't like it. She said, Mr. Scribner, this is my body. I will do with it what I want to. Now, see, that doesn't line up with the Scripture. because well, the Scripture says if she is a Christian, it's his body, not hers. Isn't that something? So I tried to tell her, if you keep abusing your body, something serious is going to happen to you. No, I don't believe that. I can do what I want to do. And so she stayed over there. Well, it wasn't long. The little girl got pregnant. Nine months later, brought a beautiful little girl into the world, a little child. Her daddy asked me to go back again. I did. She still not changed it. This is my body. I'll do with it what I want to. See, now she does not know the truth. She's too young. I go and try my best to convince her That she's not her own. If she is a child of God, she belongs to the Lord. He bought her with a price. But she wouldn't listen. Gets pregnant again. Has another little baby. Later, she gets pregnant again. By the time she's 21, she's already got the third baby. From 16 to 21, she has three babies. The third one was a month old. And her and that boy and that baby went to bed together one night. And when they woke up the next morning, the baby woke up and he woke up. But she'd had a massive heart failure and was stone dead at 21. 21. Everybody says, Why? Hey, I have your answer. It's in the Word of God. Isn't that amazing? Now then. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When she said it was her body. And she do with it what she wanted to. It doesn't line up with scripture. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 20. For God has bought you. Verse 19 says your body is not your own. It belongs to the Lord. And verse 20 says. For God has bought you with a great price. So that. So, use every part of your body to give glory back to God because He owns it. Now, this is the Living Bible again. When I read this in side by side with the King James, I thought this is really easy for anybody to understand. The King James says the same thing, but it says it just a little bit different. But, verse 24, God has bought you with a great price. What was that great price? His blood. He died and was beaten for you. And so when he was raised from the dead, because the price he paid, when you come to him, you accept him. Now, he's not going to force you to accept him. It's a choice you make. He sets before you the cup of wine and says, you make the choice. But if you make that choice to serve me, you're no longer yours. You belong to me now. And you need to do what I tell you to do. Woo, that's kind of like, well, a little bit like that is a man and a woman when they get married. When the woman marries a man, she's no longer her own. She's now to obey her husband, providing he's a godly man. Now then, I had a woman just recently that listened to these teachings and went home and told her husband. That she was going to become obedient to God. And they've been married several years. And she was going to honor Him and obey Him. And he said, good. The first thing he says, you're to stop going to church. Now then, that throws a red flag straight up to me. He used to be a Christian, she says. He used to go to church with her. But now he no longer goes to church, and then he asked her to do some things I wouldn't dare speak in here before a crowd, but foul things he wanted her to do. So when one of the prayer warriors come in and asked me, Thurman, what should I do? I said, You tell her she does not have to obey him. Because those things that He's asking her to do is not of God. He does, She does not have to obey a man that asks her to do those foul things. If you're a daughter of the king and you're married to a man and he says he's a man of God and he asks you to do something that's not glorifying to God, no. You can disobey Him and God will honor it. He didn't tell you to go out and sin. What if the man was to tell... What if... What? If, just what if... I mean, this is kind of far out. But what if the guy said, well, I've got three friends and they don't have a, a woman so I'm going to have them bring them over here to this house and they can have sex with you, my wife. Would you yield to a husband like that? No. Absolutely not. You better not. Because that's not of God. That man's of the devil. You know, don't you dare do something like that. You know, if... See, the next verse, when it says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands in everything, then the very next line says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And if a husband loves his wife like that, he's not going to ask her to do something stupid that will hurt her or be harmful to her. I mean, I think about Cheryl as this devil has attacked her and she's had this problem with her throat and everything in the last few days two or three days. She's had this pretty severe. I, I wake up in the middle of the night and of course, sometimes she's asleep, sometimes she's not. I'll turn over there and put my hands on her back and if she's asleep, I'll gently say, you devil of hell, you get your hands off my wife. In the name of Jesus, I command you to get your hands off of her. You know, I mean, it takes a lot of battling and a lot of fighting to drive the devil out when he gets in. And and I don't want my wife to be sick and she don't want to be sick. You know, she don't want a stopped up head, she don't want a sore throat, she wants to be well. So but the secret is we need to all of us need to watch very carefully what we do. You know, like she said, I grumbled a little. Well, what is the message behind this? Don't grumble. Hey, don't grumble. That's it. Don't grumble. Like the scripture says <laughs> Like the scripture says, <laughs> I was afflicted after I went astray. That's what, that's what the word says. It didn't say you were afflicted before you went astray. It says you were afflicted after you went astray. Now that's in the book of Psalms. I forget exactly which one that is. I think it's in 119 somewhere, but I don't remember exactly which one. Psalm 119. Oh, it is sixty-six. Okay. Well, they all talk about that. Amen. Praise the Lord. There they are. So you don't want to, you don't want to do any sin. If you do, well, sooner or later you're going to open a door to the devil. So right here it says, "For God has bought you with a great price." So use every part of your body to give glory back to God because He owns it. Now if you're sleeping with a young man that's not a believer and you're bringing children into the world that's not believers, are you glorifying God with every part of your body? No, not hardly. And well, verse 20, 1 Corinthians 7:23 makes this statement. 1 Corinthians 7:23, "You have been bought and paid for by Christ." If you've been bought and paid for by Christ, you belong to Him. Be free now from all these earthly pride and fears. The key to producing fruit is the seed. No field can grow without seed. So what is the seed? You ever think about that? You've got to have seed. Seed. Well, let's go to Matthew 13. Now, this scripture we're going to talk about here, this is found in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. All three of these places. But tonight, we're just going to talk about the one in Matthew 13. Verse 3, Matthew 13:3. Then he, Jesus, spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. People understood this back in those days. Today, we are not too sure because some of us in here may have never sown seed in your life. Some of you ladies in here may have sown flower seeds or something to, in your flower garden. And, uh, but some of you may have never sown a seed in your life. And there's something that I thought was extremely strange. I didn't really know this until just the last few years. Do you know when you go to the feed store and buy seed, they have made that seed a hybrid seed, so it will produce an abundant crop. But did you know if you take that seed that comes up from that crop and you replant it, it won't grow? Isn't that amazing? So you have to go back to buy seed from the feed store. Because the seed, the hybrid seed that comes up, although cattle can eat it or animals can eat it and they can gain weight and they can flourish on it, it will not reproduce itself. Isn't that strange? But we've done a lot of things that's strange. You know, it really is some strange things going on in the world here today. And verse 4 says, And as he sowed some seed, fell by the wayside and, the, and this is the New King James, by the way. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. Some seed fell on stony grounds where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And now some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them out. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Well, now I want that hundredfold seed myself. I don't want that, you know, I don't even want that uh, thirty and 60 and 30 stuff. I want that hundredfold seed. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, boy, this is a very, very important statement the Lord has put in here. If there's anything we need to learn to do when we read God's Word, we need to make sure we read it out loud so it can bounce on our ears vibrate on our eardrums, and go back into that little section of the brain that tells us what to do. We need to make sure that we listen close to God's Word. Now, it used to when I'd read the Bible, and I've done this a lot of times, I've even went to church a lot of times, and I would go in there, and even a Baptist church, you know, for a 30-minute sermon, and I'd go in and I, when it was over, or as he was teaching or whatever, or preaching, I'd think, man, this is a great message. i got to remember this. This is awesome stuff that he's in today. And I'd get up and I'd go outside, you know, and maybe I'd go to dinner with somebody. And we'd run into a restaurant and say, where have you been today? I said, man, I've been to church, praise God. Master Pastor had a great message today. Oh, he did? What was it about? I couldn't remember a word. Have any of y'all ever been guilty of that? Hey, there's an enemy out there, you know it? I guarantee there's a devil out there, and he's out there to steal his seed out of you. So let's see what happens when the Lord says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? We don't understand this. And he answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That mystery has been revealed to us too, but to them it has not been given for whoever has to him more will be given, and he will have abundance, but whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. that don't seem fair, does it? You have a question there Wait just a minute, let me get a mic, let me get a mic. You won't be able to hear it. Um, I, w- I was thinking it was you that told this, but somebody who could see in the spirit, in the spiritual world, after people left a church, he saw a, a demonic bird. Didn't you tell this? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought you were you were gonna tell it again. But he saw that demonic bird picking the seed out of everybody that came outside the church. So I thought yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That that's, that, that uh, I asked the Lord. Whoa, let me turn this off. I I didn't understand that. And when I read this parable and studied this, uh, actually, I mean, it, it's several people I'm sure have had that uh, vision or whatever when you're reading this and you ask the Lord, but the Lord literally told me that there's a demon sitting outside the church that when we walk out, he literally reaches into our heart and steals everything out we just put in it. So as you walk out, he's standing there, he reaches And So you walk out the door and you don't remember a thing. Because the Lord said in His Word that this is what happens when we go out that door. A demon. The Scriptures say this. It's right here in the Word. We're going to see it in a minute. It's right here in Matthew 13 and Mark 4 and Luke 8. And when you learn this is in here and He's telling you to listen to pay attention, I'm going to tell you what you can do and how you can get rid of this beast and how you can retain my Word. But you've got to listen. You've got to pay attention. You can't be thinking about the football game. You can't be thinking about what you're going to fix for dinner when you get home. Or you can't be thinking about what you're going to eat when you leave here, where you're going, or what you're going to do. You've got to be listening to the Word. Now, if you're like I used to be, I used to go to Bible study on Sunday morning. I mean, when I left, I didn't get a thing. Because when I was there that morning, I'm sitting right there looking at this teacher right in the face. And he's talking. I'm thinking about this car I've been working on this week. Or I've been thinking about them lessons I took last week flying that airplane. I'm still flying that airplane. I'm sitting there watching him, but I'm, I'm reliving working on that car or driving that race car last weekend. You know, I ain't hearing nothing he's saying. Any of y'all ever had that problem besides me? We've all had that problem, haven't we? It's real easy. I mean, you can be looking at someone and you think that you got their undivided attention. You know, And of course, for you girls that are married to us guys... Y'all can be sitting there, and he's sitting there listening to you, and you're telling him everything. And then you say, honey, you say, oh, what? Uh, You ain't heard. Here, he falls asleep. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sharon was talking to me the other day, and I just crashed. She kicked me. She said, wake up. I'm talking to you. Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious. David, you have that problem, too. Once in a while, (laughs) not too often. But anyway, it does happen. It happens to all of us, and especially some of those nights when we don't have, I we have daddy to sleep in a long time. I'm laying there, Cheryl's trying to tell me something at four o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden, you know, (laughs) kicks me on the side and says, Wake up. Are you awake? Are you awake? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, I'm awake. Yeah. Uh, Tell me what I just said. Okay, start over everything after. (laughs) <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah, we have those problems. But anyway, and it says. And then he says there. Whenever, when you think about whoever has more will be given, and those that don't have what they have will be taken. Well, if you have something and you're not using it, why should you be given more? You know. And, but if you're out there using what you've been given for the kingdom of God, I mean, what will the Lord just come by and just keep giving you. Just keep giving you stuff as long as you use it for His glory and to bring glory into His kingdom. Man, He'll just keep shoving it in there to you. I mean, just like us. It never ceases to amaze me that we started out a few years ago. I mean, when I got to work and make one box of tapes and give them away in a week, I thought, man... A hundred tapes in a week. That's a lot. And I never dreamed the day would come. Like yesterday, they delivered 3,000 DVDs and 8,000 DVDs for us to duplicate this week. And by next week, we'll order another order. But we're ordering and giving away a minimum of 5,000 CDs and DVDs a week. Sometimes it goes as high as 10 thousand a week we give them all away so and of course the tapes and everything else and of course we send stuff out the mailing has increased you know the uh, production has increased uh, we're having to uh, hire another little girl to help us we're going to start tomorrow a precious little uh, 25 or 6 or 7 or 8 year for you know exactly how old she is but just a precious little girl loves jesus this little girl was lost You know, she didn't know Jesus. I had the privilege two or three years ago to bring her into the kingdom of God and then I shared the gifts of the Holy Ghost with her and man, the Holy Ghost come upon her and she just wants to speak it in tongues and doing all kinds of things and we're in a Baptist church. She wants to tell everybody, praise God, I got the baptism of the Holy Ghost and I speak in tongues. And they say, don't talk about that. You're going to be okay. Quiet. Don't tell anybody. You'll get over it. That's right, David. I mean, they begin to just cool her off. And she said, Thurman, what's wrong? I said, Oh, it's just the devil. Don't listen to him. I said, Don't let that beast cool you off. Now, just keep on keeping on. But I said, You're in a battle now beyond your wildest dreams. Well, we've taught her the Word and everything, and it's totally changed her life. She's still on fire for Jesus. And she's going to go to work for us tomorrow. You know, going one more little lady in there to answer the phone and, and help. Of course, we've got some wonderful help out there. You know, Rosemary, she comes out there and she is a diligent worker. She does all kinds of wonderful things. does anything. What I like about people, you know, Rosemary, no matter what you ask her to do, she'll do it. I don't care if you ask her to answer the phone, put stuff in the computer, uh, mail out stuff, do mail outs. Anything, work back in the back. Haul stuff around. She just uh, <laughs> take out the trash. Yeah. Oh yeah. Massage. Give me a massage once in a while. You know. Oh goodness, boy. And so I mean, that's. I one day when I had a problem with my back, she brought her little chair out there and started giving me a massage. Oh, it hurt. I mean, when she was pushing on the pressure points, I said, I know what you're doing this for. You're getting even with me. <laughs> it sure did hurt, but it sure did feel good when she got through. You know. So. All these people that work for us. I mean, Rosemary and and Dave and both Dave's and Phil and Krista and and Wendy and everybody. You know, I mean, they're just, Ayesha, everybody out there loves Jesus and they just want to serve God. And that's what's so much fun. You know, it doesn't make any difference. What we're about out there is telling people about Jesus and praying the prayer of faith for people. And praise God, He answers our prayers. So we're producing fruit. The Living Savior Ministries, praise God, through all the people that work with it. And through it, are producing fruit for the kingdom of God. And we're continuing to go. And the more we have, the more we make, and the more things we give away, the more God gives us to make and duplicate and give away. And, I mean, last week, just to give you an idea, last week when we went to uh, Omaha, Nebraska... Cheryl shipped five boxes of cassettes that had 500 tapes in each box. So, that's 2,500 cassette tapes she shipped up there. And then she shipped 12 boxes this big of CDs and DVDs. Twelve of them. Full. Packed full. And then we carried six big suitcases full of 50 pounds each except two of them weighed 70 pounds. And we carried those on the airplane with us. And we gave every one of them away. Every one was given away while we were up there. Is that a lot of CDs and DVDs? And ta- that's a lot. Guarante- and of course, the kids are out there tonight filling up stuff to go to Baltimore and go to Longview and all these other places. We got on the schedule in the future. And who knows? In the very near future, we're going to go to San Antonio. We're waiting on that. We're going to go to Lyndon, Washington. That's already on the agenda. And then we're... What in? Kansas. Kansas. Oh, yeah. We're, and we're going to Kansas. I don't know where all we're going. But all I know is we got one goal. Produce fruit for the kingdom of God. That's what it's all about. That's what we're all here to do. Produce fruit for the kingdom of God. Now, you can do a lot of things like... I'm going to pull Eldon's string a little. He produced fruit yesterday. He got up early yesterday morning. He came out and he gave the Living Savior Ministries a whole day of time. He said, anything you want me to do, I'm here to do it. I said, and I know he's a good mechanic. I said, well, my little Ford tractor we plow the garden with that we try to raise. We're going to try to raise stuff for everybody to eat there in the ministry center. I said, it quit working. So he goes out there and he spends... Several hours taking the carburetor off, cleaning it, putting, pulling the distributor off, putting new points, condenser, new coil, fixing the generator, all the stuff he'd worked on it for several hours. But yesterday it was plying beautiful when he left. Now he was producing fruit for the kingdom. Is that they're using the talents God gave him, you know, for our ministry. And I'm telling you, I was grateful because I didn't have the time to do all that myself. But he come out and help me out. So whatever gifts God gives you, use them for his glory, for the kingdom, you know, and you're producing fruit for the kingdom. So then in Matthew 13, he keep, we keep going down there and he says, if you do not have, for whoever uh, has to him more will be given. And then in verse 13, therefore I speak to them in parables because, and he's going to tell us why. Seeing they do not see. And hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. How many of us have read the scripture, saw it with our eyes, and looked upon a scripture like Matthew eight seventeen, where it says, Himself, Jesus, bore your sickness and removed your disease. And didn't mean a thing to you. You just read right on by it. Just kept right on going. You saw it. You heard it. But you didn't get it. It did not become a revelation to you. And that's the way the Word of God is. You have to meditate on the Word. You have to get in and dig in the Word. You have to pray over the Word. You have to rebuke the devil over the Word. And when you do then Scriptures like that becomes a revelation to you. And God will jump that off the page at you. And one day you'll read a Scripture like Luke ten nineteen and 20, which is some of my favorite verses. Behold, I given to you power to tread on the devil and his demons. All power is given to you over them. They shall in no wise hurt you. And then those spirits have to be subject to you. In the name of Jesus. When that becomes a revelation to you, I don't care what you've got. I don't care if you've got like that woman that sat right back here here a while back had a tumor in her body. I went back there and she repented of her sins. She had had this thing for I forget how many years Esther had that tumor. How many was it? Fourteen years she'd had that tumor. I went back there and laid my hands on her and got her to repent of her sins and curse that thing, command that thing to come out of her, and never come back to her. And the next Sunday when they come to church, it was gone. And it hadn't been there since. Fourteen years she'd had that thing. How much power did we have over the devil? Hey, don't you think we ought to believe God? Sure, that tumor didn't come from God. That came from the devil. You know, he was there putting that thing on her. So, she did have a little sin though. And she had to repent of that sin. And she had that sin a long time. But when she got that sin repented of, I mean, we rebuked that devil and that thing left her. Then he says in verse 14, And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive for the hearts of this people have grown dull hard hearted their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their heart yeah hear with their ears and lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. When the Word of God becomes a revelation to you, when you hear it and you see it and you understand it, you say, praise God. This is for me. I repent of my sins, Lord. It's mine. Just like Esther did that day whenever we rebuked that devil and cursed that tumor that had been in her body for 14 years, and that thing left in just a matter of a little short period of time. Next Sunday, when Esther came back to church, that thing was gone. Wow! Isn't it great to see God do those kind of wonderful things? Wow! I love it. But just think, what if your eyes and your hearing, have? how did you close your eyes? What can you see with your eyes closed? Absolutely nothing. What can you hear when you put both fingers in your ears and stop them up tight as you can? Not very much. That's right. You don't hear much. That's why when we read this book, we need to read this book out loud, prayerfully, slowly, talk about the verses, meditate on them. Don't ever sit down and say, well, I've got I to read a chapter tonight before I can eat supper. And you read, run over and say, oh, let's see. And then in them the, the prophesies is fulfilled which says here And you read it about like that. You say, okay, i got a chapter read. Praise God now I'm ready for supper. What chapter did you read? Well, I don't know. Somewhere over in the Bible. What book were you in? Well, how do I know? You sure don't even know what chapter and verse you read if you don't know what book you read. But that's the way some people treat the Word of God. You need to sit down with it, meditate on it, and I mean take it apart. I mean take it apart word by word and line by line and see what the Lord is trying to tell you. Because He says here, if we should see with our eyes and hear with our ears we should and understand with our hearts, and then we would turn, in other words, repent is what He's saying, You're turning or repenting from your wicked ways. He says, then you should be healed. You will be healed when you turn away from your wicked ways, when you hear and see the Word of God. Then he says, for surely, verse 17, or verse 16, But blessed are your eyes, for they do see, and your ears, for they hear. Now, that's supposed to be us, the church. We're supposed to hear and see when we read and study the Word of God. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Think about these prophets that are telling about the coming of the Messiah. And they never see it. He's coming. But they never see it. They talk about it but they never get to see it, never get to hear it. They just spoke it. And they so wanted to see the fulfillment, just like me. I, my desire now is to see people saved and healed and delivered from that devil. But the two-thirds of my life, I never saw one single one in none of that. But in the last third of my life up to now, and this is not going to be nowhere the last third, I mean, I'm going to live a long time and a good, healthy life and I'm going to see God do great and mighty things beyond my wildest dreams. Because after what I've seen Him do in the last 20 years, I've got a feeling this is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, I'm ready to go on. And if I'll just do what my honey bunny tells me. Lock myself up with the Word. Get over in that ministry, close the door, get the word, lock it up and spend all day with you and God. She said, then your anointing will increase. <laughs> did you hear what she just said? God sent you a wise woman to tell you what to do. He's <laughs> the Lord. And he did. Praise God. And he did. A lot of us guys would probably be a whole lot better off if we'd pay attention to those kind of things our wives tell us. Probably would. Then he says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom. This is extremely important right here. Definitely get this in verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. Now, how many times have you read Scripture and didn't understand it? Many times. Me too. But it's that anytime you hear the words of the kingdom and you do not understand it, then the wicked one comes. Who is the wicked one? The devil and his demons. The devil and his demons comes and he snatches away that that was sown in your heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. Hey, you don't want to receive seed by the wayside. You don't want that. You want to be able to have a field that's good fertile soil. So when the seed, which is the Word of God, is sown in your field, man, you just suck it down in there and pound it down in the ground and put water and stuff on it and let it start growing right then. You don't want that other stuff. You want to really take care of this seed, the Word of God. Then he says, But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Boy, how many people have I seen like that. I mean, they come to church and they're on fire. And they get healed. And they're jumping up down, screaming and telling everybody about Jesus. And three months later, you wonder where they are. Hey, you ain't been to church in a month. What happened? Oh, well, I got busy. And I'll try to get back down there when I can. Oh, I I thought you was the guy that got healed and was so on fire for Jesus. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I did get healed. That's right. (laughs) Do you know you have no idea how many people I come back to and say, You know, isn't it wonderful what God did for you 12 years ago when you received this miracle? And they think of me and say, What miracle? You remember when you called me and I came to your house and you had whatever and I taught you the Word. And, oh! Oh, that's right. I do remember that. That's this person right here that we're talking about. And I just talked to one of those just this week. That when I reminded them of a miracle, they thought, Oh! I had forgot about that miracle. In fact, one of the ladies I was talking to on the phone, when I saw, I said, You know, when God does things for you, you need to tell everybody. And you need to keep telling. You need, so the devil don't snatch it away from your heart. I said, That's just like Philip. I said, Philip. Whenever God healed him 11 years ago, I said, today that boy's on fire for Jesus. He's telling everybody about his miracle. But did he stay right in there with it all the time? No. Did he get away from God? Yes. Did the devil suck him back out there in the world? Oh yeah. You think your 11 year old boy gets all of his warts and scars and everything else took off. You think he won't never forget that. But he did. And the devil sucked him right back out there in the world. And I'm done. he lived in the world for a while. And then one day, I thought, you know, and it's only been just about a year ago. I thought, I ain't seen Philip in a long time. I wonder where he's at. I wonder how God's using that boy. I went up to the front and I said, look on the internet and pull up Philip Anthony Wren. See if you can find him. I want to talk to him. And they tried everywhere... We finally found three Philip Anthony Wrens in the state of Texas, and I called all three of them. They ain't none of them Philip or somebody else. So I can't find him. So we're going to them and I say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I don't know where Philip's at, but something's in my heart that I need to talk to him. So I said, you bring him to me. I said, thank you, Father. Just a few days later, the phone rang, and it was Philip. And he came out to see me, and I mean, he was on the bottom of the barrel. Bottom of the barrel. I put him to work for me. Got the devils kicked out of him. The Lord brought a beautiful little girl into his life. Today, him and her both are working for us. Their own fire for Jesus and everything in their life has changed. And I mean, he's witnessing and talking to everybody about Jesus. But that devil had, taken, had done a miracle for him 11 years ago and stole it from him. Completely sold him from him. Isn't it amazing how the devil can do that to you? It's just like this this pastor's wife I talked to this week. Same thing. I was telling her about Phil's miracle. And she said, you know, I had completely forgot that. She said, 20 years ago, I had all kinds of warts all up and down my leg. But many of them. And she said, I'd had them burned off my leg several times because I hated those big warts on my leg. And she said, one night I sat there watching Christian television. And a pastor come on and said, there's a woman sitting out there watching right now that's got gross on your leg. If you put your hand on those, the Lord will take them off. And she thought, that's for me. She said, I reached up putting my hand on my leg on those warts. And she said, the next morning I woke up, there was not a wart or a scar on my body. Isn't that amazing? And guess what? I have completely forgot it until you told the story about Philip. And she said, the Lord brought it back to me. I said, don't ever let that devil steal that from you. You start telling everybody in your church about that. You tell it so often you won't never forget it. Because God says you are to give Him glory and honor when He does those kind of things. Isn't that amazing? God does all these wonderful things for us. And what do we do? Oh, oh ho-hum. I'm so glad, Lord. He said, I didn't hear you tell a soul. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, that's not what he wants, is it? When he does miracles for us, he wants us to tell people what he done. You know, when you tell people, if you got a miracle or a healing from God, and you're telling somebody, say, Woo, let me tell you what the Lord did for me. Hey, girl, let me tell you what the Lord did for me last year. What do you mean? Oh, man, I went down to that church and I had this problem. And God healed me when that guy prayed for me or that woman prayed for me. What? I don't believe that. Hey, that happened to me. I didn't hear that second hand. I got it. It happened. And maybe three or four or five people around them will be hearing. I've been telling these kind of stories in a restaurant. And somebody get up and come over there and say, could I talk to you in the back? I say, sure. And we go back and say, you know, I got this problem. Would you pray for me? Isn't that wonderful? Hey, that's what God called me and you to do, right? Pray the prayer of faith for people and let Him heal them. And then, hopefully, they will give Him the glory. And some of them will, some of them won't. But it says there, where were we? Verse 20? 20? Okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to read verse 20, 20 again. But he who receives the seed on stony places. This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a little while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Hey, what do you mean talking about God in the workplace anyway? Does it offend you? I'm sorry, I won't do it no more. Is that the way we do? Sure, that's not the way we really do it, but that's the way a lot of people do it. That's the way we do it. Hey, you need to be giving God the glory. It'll make you what happens. Everybody needs to know what's going on. You need to be praying. You know, when you walk into a workplace, like when I used to work out there at Sky Chef, many a morning I'd walk in the front door, And as I walked through the cold room, I'd hold my hands up and say, glory to God, praise the King. You know, talk about Jesus. But one day, one of these little Spanish ladies over there, she contacted cancer. And she told one of the guys that worked there, he said, you know, you need to go tell Thurman. He'll pray for you and Jesus will heal you. So I was out there the next day and she said, sir. And I went over there and I said, yes, ma'am. She said, they tell me, you can tell me where to read in the Bible. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I get off at 11. Will you be in your office? I said, yes, ma'am. I didn't know this woman had cancer. But at 11, she punched out, walked straight into my office, little Spanish woman, walked around behind my desk. I sat there at my desk, opened her Spanish Bible, and I started opening it. I said, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? She said, I don't think so. I said, okay. So I turned into Romans chapter 10, verse 8 and 9 and 10, and I said, start right there in Romans ten eight 8, 9, 10, and read those three verses and see, have you done that? And she read it and she said, no, I've not done that. I said, well, let's do that right now. So I reached up and laid one hand on her arm, raised one hand up, and prayed the prayer of faith for her, and she repeated after me, and she got saved. Now see, she didn't know that the word sozo right there, the word saved is the word sozo, and it also means healed. Now, she didn't know, that, but God did. Because He wrote it in His book. Well, a few days later, I walked through the floor out there at the morning praising the King, and she comes running from her table when she saw me. She said, Mr. Scrivener, praise God, I'm healed, I'm healed. I said, healed of what? I said, I didn't pray the prayer of faith for you for healing. Oh, she said, but must Mr. Neal. I told him I had cancer the other day. And he told me to come to your office and Jesus would heal me if you prayed for me. Now, she came to my office and I got her saved. And when I got her saved, Jesus healed her and took away her cancer. And when I left out there, that woman was one of my best friends. If I walked through that place, she'd say, that man prayed for me and I got healed of cancer. She was giving God the glory. Now see, that's what you and me are supposed to be doing as Christians. We're supposed to be producing fruit for the kingdom. And that's what we should all should be doing. Something like this. Now then, it says here, Now, he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world. And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. I just haven't got time to talk about Jesus. I've got to go to work. I have to work seven days a week just to make ends meet. I I can't tie it. I don't have time to go to church. I just barely make enough money to feed my family and to pay my rent. Until you start doing it God's way, that's as far as you're ever going to get. If you want to stay down there on Poverty Street like that and don't believe God, just hang in there. But he who received seed on the good ground, that's supposed to be us, is he who hears the Word and understands it. Who indeed bears fruit... And produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now, which one of those three do you want to be? A. That's what... In fact, I, I, you know, it only says a hundredfold, but I'd like... Yeah, I'd like to have a thousandfold. I mean, Eldon and I are thinking on the same track. That's exactly what I... Whoa, got a confirmation there. As soon as I started to say it, he said a thousandfold. That's exactly what I was thinking to say. A thousandfold. Somebody said, well, gee, you have little faith. I was going to say a hundred thousandfold. Yeah. See? Or somebody said a millionfold. What's wrong with you guys? Y'all ain't got no faith at all. Well, see, that's where we live, isn't it? It all depends on what we believe. Some of us, if we could get threefold, we'd be happy, wouldn't we? Or tenfold, we'd be happy. How would you like to go out? And take a thousand dollars and buy a piece of land and keep it one year and sell it for ten thousand. Oh, you like that? One year. Then you take the ten thousand and give the Lord ten percent of the whole thing, give him a thousand, that's what you give for the an plural, and you take nine thousand and go out and buy another piece of land for nine thousand, keep it one year, and what if it's worth ninety thousand? He said, now, wait a minute now. Wait, now. Tithe off that now. You know, that tithe off that $10,000, but to tithe off of 90000 I, I can't do that. Okay. That's it. That's far as you're ever going to get. As far as you're ever going to get. I heard a man say the other day, he said, I bought a piece of property for $2 million. I sold it for $4 million, and the company that bought it was a Christian organization, so I tithe back into their organization 400,000. Now, was that more than a tithe? Sure it was. Because he gave 2 million for it, sold it for 4 million, and he gave them a tithe off the whole thing or give them 400,000 back. And you want to know why that man's blessed? Yeah, Yeah, there's no doubt about it. He's sowing into good soil. He is good soil. And whenever you, if you're good soil, and the Lord sows something into you, and you turn back around and you say, well, the Lord has given me this gift to make bread, so I'm going to make a loaf of bread and take it down to my neighbor that's not doing too well. And then you think, well, on the way home, there was another little neighbor who's got two children, and she's not doing too well, so you say, I'll make her two loaves of bread and take over there. When, if you continue to do that, and you sow that seed and do good things, and you praise the Lord in the process... God will bless you so abundantly it will bless your socks off. It's amazing what He will do. So be good soil. You know, be claim at least a hundredfold, since the Scripture says a hundredfold. Don't claim or be happy with the sixty or thirty. Say, Lord, I want to be abundantly productive for Your kingdom. Is that right, Father? In the name of Jesus, we ask You to help us, Lord, that we be abundantly productive with Your Word. As we go, Lord, help us to pray for people. Help us to bring people into the kingdom. Many of them, Lord. Help us to pray the prayers of faith for people and get the sick healed because we know it's Your will to heal the sick. You don't want them well sick. You want them well. And Lord, help us to see these demons that are stealing the Word out of our heart, that are making people sick, and Lord, help them to repent and then we drive out these invisible beings that cause people to be sick so they can be healed. Lord, reveal all these wonderful things to us in a clear manner so we can produce great fruit for the kingdom of God. Thank you, Father, for this magnificent Word of God that you've given us. Help us to apply it to our hearts so we will not be dull of hearing. Our eyes will not be closed, but they will be opened so we can see clear and hear and we can act on the word and produce at least a hundredfold return. And you will be glorified. And we give you praise and glory for this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.